Hello, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne, and welcome. This is the Sports Drivals, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our purpose here, we are here to preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries that are being described from the inside out by our guests. And today, we are delighted to have two the National Football League is the area of concern today, sports-wise. Rolf Vanerska, place kicker. What a career. San Diego Chargers from 1978 to 1986. He retired from San Diego as the all-time leader in points. He uh, grew up in uh, San Diego, was born in Boston, but really grew up in the coast in California went to the University of California, Davis, for his college career. And uh, in the National Football League, all kinds of honors in his career, including uh, an NFL Man of the Year honor, 1983, a Comeback Player of the Year, a number of Pro Bowls. He did all of this while dealing with a serious colitis issue. We may have an opportunity to, to get involved in that and talk with him about it, something that has affected not only his career, but his entire life and the direction that it took. He was a host for a year on the Wheel of Fortune. Jan Stenerud, a great place kicker with Kansas City, the Packers and the Vikings. Jan's career went from 1967 to 1985. Jan was born in Norway, but he came to the United States and went to Montana State, largely as a ski jumper being his number one sport. That's what he did at Montana State, and it wasn't until late in his college career they ended up on the, on the gridiron kicking a football, and what a career that produced. He won the Super Bowl four with Kansas City in 1969. In that game, he kicked three field goals in the winning effort. Jan Stenerud was a four-time Pro Bowl player. His number was retired, number three retired by the Kansas City Chiefs. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, inducted in 1991, and uh, Jan Stenerud was the first pure place kicker from the side, in soccer style, to enter the Hall of Fame. He had 100-point seasons, seven different years. Jan Stenerud and Rolf Vanerska. Rolf, I thought about place kickers, and I'm a big hockey fan in terms of a goaltender, a lot of people say, why would anyone want to be a goaltender? You got guys on the ice skating 100 miles an hour, passing, shooting, uh, changing lines, uh, running out of breath every 45 seconds, and you're standing there in the net watching the game in front of you and reacting once in a while. You guys, Rolf and Jan, you were on the football field where guys were banging into each other for a whole afternoon of a football game, and you spent most of it on the sidelines watching, and then – in some of the most important points of the game, you get called in. Rolf, I'll start with you. Why was the place-kicking job something that attracted you to it? Well, Gary, it's, it's a longer answer than maybe what you're looking for. It, 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 it wasn't something I sought. I think in many ways, Jan and I have a similar background. I was actually raised on the East Coast until I was 15. My dad was a medical school professor at Dartmouth. I was a hockey player, so I was a hockey player, but I was I was a centerman, not a not a goalie. <laughs> I was a ski racer. I actually ski jumped uh, early on. One of the guys I ski jumped uh, against became uh, a 
member of the United States Olympic uh, team. And uh, I was a tennis player and a soccer player. And then when my father moved us to California, there were none of those sports out there. No hockey team, no soccer team, um, not even a soccer team, no ski team. Tennis team was the best in the nation. I wasn't good enough to play. So we started a soccer team. But in California, soccer is played in the winter, not in the fall. So we started a soccer team and, and literally one day after s- soccer practice, three guys in the football team came up and said, have any of you guys kicked a football? At the time, soccer style kicking because of Jan Stenerud and Gary Apremian and a couple of others was Vogue. And so three of us raised our hand and said, yeah, but truly the only footballs I ever kicked was as a kid walking home across the, the football fields at Dartmouth where we used to kick balls back across the, the, the uh, Uprights. So at the end of the day, honestly, kicking, and Jan, I think you'll agree, if you can kick a soccer ball, you can kick a football. It's just not that hard. And so I was the last guy standing at the end of this little kickoff. What we didn't know was the football coach was watching on the side. And he came over to me. I was a junior in high school and said, we'd like for you to kick next year. I go, I don't know. I'm about 135 pounds. I don't really think so. But he talked me into it. My buddies talked me into it. And I kicked my senior year. Again, it wasn't hard. Uh, we didn't have a very good team, so we had lots of opportunity to kick, and I had some success. And all of a sudden, I get offers to go to Stanford, USC, Cal, San Diego State on a football scholarship. Now, my dad was an immigrant, came over after the war. Uh, we didn't have a TV growing up. And so when I presented him with this option, he goes, Dad, they want me to go to Stanford to play football. What do you think? And I remember vividly, he goes, he shakes his head, he goes, why would you do that? That's not why you go to college. And I'm thinking, you know, you're right. I don't know if I'm good or not. So I chose UC Davis because they had a, a, a major in zoology. I was a passionate wildlife uh, uh, person, and they had a degree in zoology. So I went to Davis. I didn't know if they had a football team. I didn't sign up. And the way I ended up in football was a week into school, I get a call from the head coach at Davis. And I go, why are you calling? He goes, well... I was just berated on the phone by John Robinson, the head coach at USC, suggesting I'm paying players to come to Davis. And he goes, John, of course, that's not the case. You know, we're division two. It's a non-scholarship school. But why are you accusing me of that? And he said, well, we recruited this kicker and he chose Davis over Southern Cal. You got to be doing something illegal. (laughs) to to to, To the credit of Davis coach, he goes, well, we didn't recruit a kicker. What's his name? And he tracked me down and he talked me into playing and he changed my life. And, and that's why we're on this call. So I did not choose it. Um, I tried to quit actually in, in, in college because I started to play intramural soccer and realized pretty soon I'm playing with all the guys in the varsity team. And I missed playing soccer and I realized I could hang with those guys. And unfortunately in college, soccer and football are in the same season. So my sophomore year, I go back to the coach, football coach, say, you know, I'm going to quit playing football because I miss soccer. I'm going to go play soccer. And he could have said, yeah, go, we don't need you. But he didn't. He said, before you do, let me talk to the soccer coach. Anyway, again, the short story is they worked it out where I could play both sports in the same season. And I did that for the next three years. And and uh, it went from there. So that, that's it. Was I was a reluctant football player. I tried to quit and never chose it, but uh, found out that I was good at it and enjoyed making a difference. And and uh, I'm sure Jan's story is not that dissimilar because he was not 
uh, in my mind, I'd love to know the story, someone that uh, sought this either. Well, you know, uh, Gary asked, why would you want to be a kicker? And thinking back at it, you know, for about 20 years, I did that. And there's no question that it was, it's a very pressurized job. And it seemed like it got more and more pressurized, the more the offense and more the, the, the game uh, uh, progressed. Uh, so the, the fun of playing football for me, it wasn't really that much fun. I think a lot of people just love football. They love the game. I didn't play the game. I just kicked the football. <laughs> but it was, it was in, in college, it was a way to, uh, well, I guess I did it because football was the, was the big, big sport. We went to the games and people, the cheerleaders are running in front of the team. They're doing cartwheels. The whole student section is excited. And there's no question that football was the big thing at Montana State. And the ski team took a back seat to that. But so exactly why I did it, maybe because I thought it'd be fun to be part of the part of the most the prominent or the most popular sport that there was. But the way I got there was also unusual. We all have a story, Ralph. God darn it. I knew some of yours, but not nearly uh, as much. I was there to ski. And of course, I had played soccer was my summer sport in Norway. And I played soccer on teams since I was probably seven years old. And we had goalposts in our backyard. And, and the skiing was the one I was ski jumping in particular, also cross country skiing. But ski jumping was really fun. So I did get recruited and got a full ride scholarship to Montana State. Now, during the football season, I always, or the fall in particular, before the, before the ski season, but during the football season, I always ran the stadium steps to get my legs in good shape. For the Not only running them, but also jumping maybe two or three steps at a time on both feet at the same time. And I did that almost every day. And one day, my junior year, so that was my, of course, my third year in school, <laughs> the kicker, who was also a halfback, he was down on the, on the stadium field kicking footballs. And I had met him. His name was Dale Jackson. And I went down and I kicked a few of the toe like everybody did in 1964. And I had tennis shoes on, or white, these white rounded tennis shoes. And I kicked a few of the toe and I noticed right away that I kicked actually the, the ball quite a bit further than he did. But after maybe half a dozen attempts, I asked, can you kick with the side of your foot? Like you take a corner kick. I'm not sure if he knew what a corner kick was in soccer. And he said, yes, you can. And I never will forget the answer because he said, there's a guy for the Buffalo Bills, and his name is Pete Gogolak, and he kicks for the side of his foot. Now, the turnout in 1964, that was the first year Pete kicked in the pros with Buffalo Bills. So I, I kicked, I did this, go been out in the field a few more times just for the exercise, and then about a month or so later, uh, I didn't know this, but the basketball coach had watched me several times from his office window. And he had seen me kick the football. He had run over to the football coach a couple of times and said, Coach, his name was Jim Sweeney. Jim Sweeney, who later coached for Fresno State for many years. He was a head coach at Montana State in the early 60s and mid-60s. And Roger Kraft, the basketball coach, says, Hey, Jim, you got to take a look at this skier. He's really kicking the football distances I've never seen before. Well, the football coach didn't really listen too much to the basketball coach. But anyway, before the... Before the last home game, my junior year, 19, in November of 1964, the team was working out in the stadium. I was running the stadium steps, and all of a sudden, Jim Sweden didn't even know my name. He said, Skier, get your butt down here. I don't think he used the butt. I think he used the word I started with, with an A. But anyway, 
get down the field. Here you can kick. And it was a break in the, the, the short practice on the Friday afternoon, and I never put the ball on the tee before. And I know the wind was on my, at my back maybe six, seven miles an hour, and he asked me to kick off from the 40-yard line. And I never put it on the tee. I never approached the ball from that distance when I kicked those few times. And these guys were standing around laughing a little bit. This skinny kicker from Norway, Norway was going to perform in front of them. And I topped the first kickoff. He went almost like a squib kick. And then Sweeney said, well, try one more time. And I was nervous and charged up, but this time I hit the ball perfect, and he went through the goalpost, which, of course, in the back of the end zone, uh, that's 70 yards to the goalpost, into the bleachers behind the behind the goalpost. And he got quiet, and Sweeney said, try that again. And I did it two or three more times and kicked them all into the seats, and the guys started cheering, and Jim Sweeney said, kid, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And I knew that he was talking about pre-game meal. And, uh, and the first thing that went through my mind, I'd had an American, I had a uh, uncle and aunt that immigrated to the United States in 1920s to Buffalo, New York, and never come back when I was five years old in 1947. And then I was 10 years old, you know, five years later. All of us talked about America, the land of opportunity, the big skyscrapers in New York, the big cars and televisions and all this modern stuff. So I was always fascinated uh, with America. So when, when the coach says, what are you doing tomorrow? I thought, hey, into myself, I thought, this is the land of opportunity. Who knows what can happen? So I suited up for the first home game. My hip pads were on the wrong way, of course. I thought the most protection was needed in front instead of at the tailbone <laughs> when they put him on. And uh, I kicked off in front before practice. I mean, before the game, I wasn't eligible. But I had ski jumped in front of 80,000 in Oslo in 1962. So the crowd didn't bother me. But anyway, I, I guess I showed enough stuff that I went out for spring practice. And I made the team. And I changed my scholarship my senior year from skiing to football and actually did both and i was i was really uh, asked them i said you really get a scholarship for just kicking the football it says yeah you do <laughs> and that was that was the beginning of it and so it was a it was something that i kind of fell into but i also have to say it was fun to be on the football team because that was a big deal and why that excited me I, maybe that's selfish to think that way but it was fun and i didn't realize but at that time I was quite a bit better than the other people that I saw, at least distance-wise, in the games that we played. I probably didn't know what kind of pressure the job really was going to uh, entail when you get into the pros, because in college, even if I missed the long field goal, the crowd was happy because the ball went a long ways. When you get into the pros, the fans aren't too happy if you miss a field goal because they expect you to do pretty well. But, but anyway, that's how I got on the way. It's a very long story, but that's how it, how it started. That's special, Jan. I, I can just see it. Um, you're you're always so humble. I mean, you guys. He he redefined football. It's funny. He talks well, about the Go, you know, the Gogolak brothers were the first guys to do it. This but Ross, quickly, I'm, I'm going to try to. Before you got, you were ten years late. I don't know if you know what happened in between. I, you know, so I kicked, and then we never had. Of course, when you got in the league too, we didn't have ESPN yet then either. That was started about 1980, and of course, we didn't have NFL Network. So I never saw the guys kick. I mean, didn't even have a stopwatch. The Sweeney said, on extra point, you got to kick really fast. So my first step, I lined up about a, a yard behind the ball. My first step was actually backward, like a rocking step, and then forward. 
And then I kind of kind of refined my technique. And when I saw the Gogolize kick in the premium, that wasn't until years later, actually, because I never saw them on television. I saw the Bears and the Packers in the, in the Broncos where I was up in Montana. And so when I saw the Gogolize in the premium, that technique was a little bit different. But also, after my rookie year, which was good, although I had seven kicks blocked, we kicked from seven yards deep, and a lot of long attempts, and the fields weren't the best, as you well know. And uh, But after my rookie year, I uh, had to go to the National Guard. I had signed up for the National Guard, and I had to do my six month in Fort Polk, Louisiana, in the, after my rookie year in winter of 68. I wasn't even a citizen yet. I didn't become a citizen in 1976, but I qualified my papers that I had qualified me for the Army. So. When I got out of the Army in 19, in basic training, training in Fort Polk, Louisiana, in early summer of 68, I had, saw a newspaper for the first time in six months. On front page, there was a picture of Bobby Kennedy being shot at the Ambassador Hotel in, in uh, Los Angeles. I got to the sports page, and Hank Stram, my coach in Kansas City, and the publicity of the sports information guy, Jim Schaff, they were in Europe trying out professional soccer players and rugby players to get some with strong legs to bring them back to camp in Kansas City. And actually, they brought by back a guy called John Haslam. He was 6'10". He was a rugby player. And Bobby Howfield, you may not remember his name. Yeah, I remember uh, him, sure. Well, and yeah. and Horst Muehlman. Yeah. And they came to Kansas City, and they competed against me. And... Uh, I was able to defend my position, and Bobby Howfield ended up in Denver, Horst Mulman at Cincinnati. And then for the next few years, they had kicking caravans. I can remember Gil Brandt had one in. Went all over the world, it seemed like, and I ended up with uh, the guy from, from Texas Tech basketball player. They kicked for Chicago for years. His name was, God darn, his, uh, I, his name escapes me right now, but he kicked for the toe, though. They couldn't find anybody. So, Rolf, for, for a few years there, they looked for people from other parts of the world. By the time you got around to this 10 years later, there were more Americans kids kicking soccer. So they kind of stopped then searching around the world very much. It's because a, there was it's a, yeah. The, so the, the San Diego Charger owner did the same thing. Now, we all thought he was just writing off his trip to Europe with his wife and family, but he actually was looking <laughs> for kickers and yeah. brought somebody back. This is a few years before I joined the team. Speaking of the military, so one little funny story, Jan, you probably don't know this, because we, again, we didn't, we didn't have a TV growing up until I was a junior. We convinced my dad that we needed to watch the Olympics in 1972, and so we ended up getting a little black and white TV. <laughs> so we didn't grow up as a family watching you know, NFL games. So I was drafted, which sounds you know impressive. I was the last player taken in the draft <laughs> by, the, by the Oakland Raiders. I, I remember, no, rough quickly, I remember seeing you kicking for the Oakland Raiders exhibition game. And you did a good job, and I followed the Raiders. I think Blanda had retired. Maybe Errol Mann was there, so I thought, I wonder what they're going to do. They got this young guy that can really kick. And then I, a week or so later, you're in San Diego. That's all I remember about that. Well, here's the story. The story's hilarious. So you know that the winning team of the Super Bowl gets the last choice, and the team they beat gets the second last choice. So Oakland beat Minnesota. So Minnesota took too long in their whatever five minutes they're giving. So their choice was awarded to the Raiders and the Raiders drafted me. And then they drafted the last guy who became Mr. Irrelevant. You know about the Mr. Mm -hmm. Irrelevant, right? The last guy, right. Right. Mr. Irrelevant. It was written up across the nation that I was the last guy because 
the Raiders chose me. So when I was drafted, a colleague of my dad's, a medical colleague from the East Coast, called, doc, you know, calls up, Dad, Dr. B, Dr. B. We just saw Rolf was drafted. And there's this long pause on my dad's end of the phone. And he finally goes, drafted? I thought the war was over. Are, are they still <laughs> drafting people? So we, we had a lot to learn. And, uh, uh, but, but you're right. So I ended up at, at, at the Raiders when John Madden was the coach and Al Davis, of course, was the owner. And they had you know Kenny Stabler and Cliff Branch. And Ray Guy was the punter, best punter in the league. And I'm this kid from UC Davis, right? I'm, Lester Hayes was a rookie with me. And I'll never forget, it was a, so back then, Gary, it was a six-week preseason game. And then if you're a rookie, you come in three weeks or so it's nine weeks of preseason, yeah. which, which was a blessing because it allowed us, that young guys, to get a chance to compete and get in some preseason games. But they used to do a thing that I hated, John. I don't know if you ever had this, but, but John Madden didn't like rookies. And he, and he hated kickers. <laughs> I was I was a rookie kicker. Like I was I was as low as well poop, right? There you don't get any lower than that. And he used to he used to love doing this. Back then we had double sessions, you know, morning and an afternoon at in Santa Rosa, California. In the morning it's 95 degrees, there's not a breath of wind, it's humid as can be, and then it gets up to 105 degrees, right? So we would end morning practice and he would go, "All right, we're going to find out how good our rookie kicker is. You go, kicker, you got one shot, 45 yards. If you make it, everybody goes in for a shower. Oh. Miss it. Everybody runs 100-yard <laughs> dashes. And I can tell you, Otis Sistrunk and Gene Upshaw and <laughs> Art Shell, they didn't want to run 100-yard sprints. I remember just, just – angry. I mean, he was just pissed at this guy. He was doing this. And, and Dave Hum was my holder. He was a great holder. And uh, I remember just kind of fuming. He goes, Hey, settle down. Let's just, let's just make this kick. So he did that every day. Oh. Well, how, Rolf, how many, that, that was the incentive to make, but how many kickers did you have in camp in those years? Well, we had three. So they had drafted um, um, Steinford, um, Freddie Steinford, Steinford the year before in the yes. third round. Yeah. And then he hurt his leg. And yeah. so they signed Arrow Mann, who was a 12-year mm -hmm. toe kicker from Detroit, yep. to finish off the season, played in the Super Bowl. So they had the three of us. Steinford had been the one that ultimately ended Blanda's career. So there's and three Jim of us Turner. kicking. And Jim Turner later, too, I remember. Yeah, so he ended up going to Denver. Freddie Steinford ended up going to Denver. So there are three of us kicking. But And then now, now it's one other funny little story that, that nobody will understand until you listen to it. So back then... Roster size was 45, but there was a rule. You had to cut to 43 and then re-sign two guys that had cleared waivers. They didn't want teams to stockpile talent. Mm -hmm. So the Raiders that were very deep, and of course they won the Super Bowl, every time they put a guy on waivers that they were hoping would clear, teams would, would claim them. Now, the Raiders could pull that person off the waiver wire until the last waiver. So the last waiver was the last cut. They had released the other kickers. I was the guy. I knew nothing about this. Um, I remember I'm out looking for an apartment in Oakland. I'd made the team. And I come back to the, to the hotel, and my, my mom calls. I go, Ralph, Ralph, where, where are you? I, I mean, look, the Chargers are looking for you. I go, the Chargers? What are you talking about? Because, yeah, the Raiders released you. The Chargers picked you up. You're a Charger. 
I go, come on, mom. Of course, this is before cell phone. What are you talking about? Well, sure enough, 10, 10 days, 10 minutes later, the Raiders called and said, Ralph, we, we had to release you. We were hoping you'd clear waivers, but the Chargers claimed you, and the last rate waiver is irrevocable, so you're a Charger. So they had to go back and re-sign Errol Mann, who retired, was going back to his farm in Minnesota. So I became a Charger. Now think about this. That was a Tuesday night. I drive all night, show up Wednesday. I walk into the locker room. I, I look like I'm 12. I got a box of shoes in my hand. And our first game is four days later against the Raiders. Uh-huh. Now, I just showed up in, in San Diego. And of course, they had to release the kicker that was friends with everybody to make room for me, who came from the dreaded Raiders. I was like, persona non grata. <laughs> we go up to the Raiders four days later. I know everybody on that team. And I basically know the punter, the snapper, the holder, and two other rookies on the Raiders. And that was my, and I kicked the opening kickoff. And we don't get back on the field. We don't get the ball across midfield. Our team was so scared and, and not nearly as good as the Raiders back then. That was my introduction into the league. Yeah. Well, I th- Hank was Hank Strand was my coach, and uh, it was different. Ben Madden, by the way, at Montana State, we played something called the Camellia Bowl against San Diego State. San Diego State was Division One AA in those days, and the head coach there was Don Coriel at the time. This is 1966. And two of the assistants were Joe Gibbs and John Madden in San Diego State in the, in the mid-60s. Pretty good coaching staff, but, but Hank was so different. I was drafted by him, and I was also drafted, you know, after my, my senior year on the football team. I did get drafted as a future draft choice by the AFL. So that also was, had to be explained to me, too, because the war was going on in Vietnam, and I was drafted by the the Kansas City Chiefs as a future draft choice. That meant that I had one year left of eligibility in football because it was a different sport than skiing. So I could actually stay in school one more fall quarter, which I which I did because I hopefully we get drafted by the NFL, which also happened because there were 30 of us that had been drafted as future draft choice by the AFL. And a year later, the NFL had a special draft over those 30 guys. And I was picked by them, and I was picked by the Atlanta Falcons. But, but I came in raw, fairly highly recruited, I guess. So, uh, so Hank was really, he gave me every opportunity. He actually came before training camp my rookie year. Hank came to the practice field two or three occasions and held the ball for me for half an hour each time from the right wow. hash mark, left hash mark. He wanted to learn about kicking. Or whatever, and measure how far you kick and all that. So he he broke me in because it was clear we had five or six kickers in camp my rookie year. There about 120 people in camp in those days. There were no mini camps yet, you know. So mini camps was also started by Hank Stram in 72 or three, I think 73 or four maybe. Because before that, you play the last game in December and it's all the guys again in July in training camp. But Hank broke me in and he convinced me that I was pretty good and and I was shaky at times early on because I didn't had no experience at all. Plus, I was the only one, both at the college team and the pro team, that hadn't done anything but kick. So they wanted me to, you know, hold the bags here and there, and maybe run down on the punt return team, do whatever you could. Because the only kicking I did uh, when the season started was before practice, after warm-ups. I would put the ball in the grass. The grass was long enough on the practice field. You balance the ball in the grass, kick it across <laughs> the field of a great punter. Gerald Wilson will catch it. He would punt it back to me. I kicked it across. 
Then we stood around and watched. But that's how we did all week long. But we take part in whatever we could. And the only time you kick for the center in the hole, it was on Friday afternoon because the center was the quarterback. I mean, the center played center. And the quarterback was typically the holder. So for some times, I said, Lenny, it was a great holder, by the, by the way, Len Dawson. I really haven't kicked the field goal with the center and the holder all week. And he said, well, EJ Hollow, he might be tired or so-and-so. So let's talk to him. So we kicked a few on Friday afternoon, and that was about it in the early 70s, you know, late 60s. And I remember George Blanda told me one time, after practice, he kicked, he tried five attempts from 37 yards. If he was kicked all five in a row, he and Jim Otto and Daryl Monica took it in. That was it. And then when Hank was let go in Kansas City in 74, they brought in Paul Wigan, and we had a special teams coach for the first time. His name was Steve Ortmeyer, who I'm sure you know, Rob. And he, of course, at that time, I was in my ninth year, and Gerald Wilson is 14th or whatever, so we told him pretty much what to do. But I did not really have the experience of kicking with a, the, the punter as a holder until I was in Green Bay in 1980. And by that time, we start getting reps. We didn't have a snapper, so, so to speak, but at least one of the centers would come after practice maybe three or four times a, a week. We would practice maybe 20 kicks every day for three or four days, and that helped a lot. That was the main reason for me, at least, that the percentage went up and also the kick from seven and a half yards then before we went to eight, and they had less kicks blocked. So it was an evolution. I went through it for about almost 20 years, and I would talk to them in kicking camps, the young kid that took notes, they became special teams coaches. And now they have retired from being a special teams <laughs> coach. And, and that another generation is de- doing basically what, Ralph, what you and I, what we discovered and what we, how we evolved. And now they are, because every kicker in the league still has not, has ever kicked the football. Right. So they make it, uh, I wouldn't say complicated, but they... Uh, well, it, yeah, I mean, you, you changed it. I mean, Jan, you, you started it, and then nobody knew how to train you. You had to train yourself. You had to figure it out. Nobody knew how to coach you. You had to figure that out. We didn't know how many kicks to kick. We were specialists without specialists around us, right? So the position yeah. has evolved where you have specialists that are just snappers, and yeah. you have holders that are so good at it. Yeah. It's sort of like if they get a bad snap, the kicker almost doesn't know what to do because it's always so good. But all of that yeah. stuff was in evolution from – the early yeah. days when you started, and even during my days, there was this, you know, Alex Karras said our profession back a lot when he <laughs> made fun of us kickers, right? And, yeah. and, and yet Alex, most, he, got, he got paid for back, though, because Dempsey kicked the 63-yard field goal against him. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That was but, against Detroit, I guess. But no, there were some, uh, I think, you know, Garo, because he was so small, for example, he caught a lot of grief in a lot of ways. At least you and I were over six feet and we could, we could do a couple of other things. So I, I, I was pretty fortunate in Kansas City that way, although there were times that you had to bite your lip a little bit. But overall, I had a veteran team, and, and they they uh, they needed a kicker badly when I got there. So although there were ups and downs, it always is in the life of a kicker. And I, I don't know how many times, Ralph, that I thought on the sideline, I, I missed the kicker in the game. I said, if I miss this one, you know, I might might be out of a job on Monday. And that means right. you're off the, off the payroll, too. Right, there's no backup kicker. You're, you're, you're starting. And, and that thought, play. you can't have that thought in your in your back of your mind very long. You got to concentrate on, on making what you have to do. So, it is a pressurized situation, not just to win games, but also keep your job. But also, 
it, it was your livelihood. And, and, and uh, so I was fortunate that I actually came to a place where you could pay for because you have an ability to kick football further than, further than anybody else around me. And why I had a knack for that, I didn't really know until years later. It wasn't until about four or five years into the league when they had traveled around the world, then I realized, you know, I don't think they're going to find anybody. And that's, <laughs> and Rob, that's the same thing for you. At that point, you knew, you had seen, they, they tried everybody else in college. And by that time, you knew they're going to have a hard time finding somebody better than you. But it would take, it took work and, and being conscientious and, 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 and doing the best you could and, and using your you know, the talent the best you could and, and try to be disciplined and, and, and work at it the best you could. But it wasn't you know, part of the evolution. And nowadays they are so incredibly good, but the turfs and the snapper and the holder and also the football, uh, it has changed a lot, Rob. <laughs> that yeah, football there's no doubt. Today in the game, that is maybe eight, nine yards longer than the brand new ball that we kicked. But we don't need to maybe... Uh, no, the evolution that has changed is, you know, we we had to um, sort of earn the respect of our teammates. I think that was our one of our bigger challenges, Gary, you know, because we just kicked and we didn't participate in hitting drills or attacking drills, although we were, you know, had to do a little of that, nothing like them. So we would we would be, you know, dummy tight, uh, dummy wide receivers, for example, when we work on defense or we would, yeah. you know, hold blocking sleds or pads or we would do whatever it could, whatever it took to sort of. And then they saw how hard we worked out. We did train hard. Yeah. Uh, no, I tried to blend in the best we could. At least I, at least I ran a lot, and, and I was in good shape. I'm sure you were too. That, so, so that's true. But there are sometimes that you know, kicking when you watch the game of football, kicking is different than the <laughs> than yeah, the game sure itself. Not. But, but God darn, I remember also we went through a period there off when they wanted to change the rules of the. This was in the early seventies. If you kicked a 50-yard field goal, you get five points. If you kicked the pro, they, they, and if you got, kicked a 20-yard field goal, you got one point. And I said, well, that doesn't really make sense. The end result is supposed to be how much yardage you gain, how you march the, the, the ball up and down the field, or use some one of Hank's term, matriculate the ball up and down the field. So if you march 99 yards, you only get one point. That doesn't make sense. Then you get a ball on on midfield and you go a few yards and you get five points. But they actually had that discussion for a while, which was strange. And then, of course, in the early 70s, we were getting better a little bit before you got into the game. And they moved the goalposts from the goal line to the back of the end zone, too. And they moved the kickoff back five yards. Yeah. Hey, Jan, I got to ask you a question. You've kicked a lot of pressure kicks. What was the most pressure-filled kick you've ever had? I... I am not sure. I think the most pressure, I, and, and Rolf, I went through hell for one kick. I missed the kick, as you well know, because you were involved in a long game. And I, in, I missed a 31 or 32-yarder in the longest game ever played. And I got a second chance in overtime, and it was blocked. And before that, they also had another uh, kick earlier in the game that I get credit for missing, but it was supposed to be a fake and a trick play. But anyway... I'll take that too. But I remember you got a second chance and you came through. And that I know that was a lot of pressure. And I'd like to talk about that in a second. But the most pressure, I do remember the next year, and I caught a lot of, and still do after, gosh, it's almost 50 years ago, Monday night game against the Saints down in the Tulane Stadium. And it was a 
field goal with a few seconds to go to win the game. And right before that kick, when this thing hit me from what had happened the year before, that is the only time I can ever remember that I was un actually uncomfortable on the field. I didn't feel right for some reason. Mm. And I didn't hit it very well, but it, but it went through. And from then on later up in Green Bay, I remember I, there was one season, I think I had five game-winning kicks the last minute of the game or in overtime. But uh, I, th I think that there were times even in preseason when the job was on the line that I knew that this kick, if I don't make this, Green Bay, my first year, we had five, six kickers in camp again because Bart Starr had promised me if I was the best kicker in camp, I would make the team because I'd been cut in Kansas City the year before against Nick Lowry. I'd be pretty even in camp. I thought I had the edge, but he was 15 years younger. So I get up to Green Bay, and then the next year, he says, I only spent three games there, four games in 1980. And he said, I guarantee you, you got my word. If you come to camp, I need to win. He says, if you are the best kicker, I'm not going to cut you because you're a lot older. I'm going I'm to keep the best kicker. Well, we kicked the Raiders, the fourth exhibition game, I think. And the punter had a hard time. So he said, so it was Boo. It was a third-round draft choice. Ray Stackowitz was his name. Mm -hmm. He held out to the fans, booed him. So he sent me in for, Bart sent me in for about a 55 or 56-yard field goal. And I make it. And I also kick off, you know, out of the end zone, the next kickoff. And Bart comes up to me when they walk into the locker room at halftime. And he said, uh, I apologize for putting you in that situation. I said, Bart, it is my pleasure. Well, the next year, the five other, four other kickers were gone. And that mm -hmm. paved the way for six more years in the league for me. So, so some of those things, even to make the team, I mean, I, yeah. I hate to say that it's a lot of pressure because it doesn't mean anything for anything. It doesn't mean that much for the team, but it means so much for you. But later, yeah. I don't know the most pressure. I, I don't know, Ralph. I don't, every, I felt, Every time you go on the field, there was some form of pressure. But I guess late in the game, but I, uh, I, I, I say this, though. I do remember a couple that I missed. The ones that I made, I hardly recall, to tell you the I, truth. Yeah, sure. Because you I expected know. But I, I know in your case that it had to be down in Miami when you had missed the kick early. And I was watching it, Ralph, in Kansas City. And I thought, I didn't even, had never met you. I, yeah, I had met you by then. Yeah, no, you had. I, look, I remember meeting you. So let me just tell that story quickly. So, but I got, got he's got to make it because he's going to hear about this rest of the life. You went in, and when you made that, I remember I was as happy as I was if, if it had been myself because I yeah. know if you hadn't made that kick, it'd be a big problem. And you yeah, made it. Problem. You made a great song. Yeah, kick, I remember. Well, let me just go back a couple of years. So I told you the story about being cut by the. Raiders and coming to San Diego. And then the first game we played was against the Raiders. The second game we played was against you at Kansas City in San Diego. I remember you will go right in front of a bench. Well, here's what I remember. I don't even remember that. I remember you coming up to me before the game and introducing yourself. And of course, you were my idol. And you were so kind to do that. And then after the game, of course, the kickers always say hello to one another. And then the press asked you about me. And you said, very kind things about me. And I'll never forget it, Jan. I'll never forget it. You you showed me the kind of person I wanted to be, a gentleman, respectful, humble, grateful, gracious, all of those things, and, and to be a good kicker. So I'll never forget it. Um, for my hero to say that to me was, was impactful. Um, and then so moving to the, the kick that was, for me, the most Ralph, quick, Ralph, quickly, I appreciate that. But I think uh, looking back, I think people agree with me. But what I told you, if that was... 
nice things. You deserved it. And people, millions of people know the way you are now. So anyway, well, let me hear well. about your kick in Miami. So. so, you know, the old fans will remember, we, we ended up playing an overtime game in Miami. Um, back then, of course, our whole careers, you know, we never made much money. So back then we were in a playoff game and we jumped off to a 24, nothing lead. And the end of the first quarter, we're, we're, we're jumping around on the sidelines and partly because that meant we were going to win a playoff check, which was big for us. Right. Of course, Don Chula changed his quarterback, puts in a backup quarterback named Don Strock. They marched down and they turned the game around. And just before halftime, they do this famous hook and ladder play. They score a touchdown goes into the second half. We go back and forth and, they end up taking the lead and, and maybe the most pressure kicked kick I ever kicked was in that game. And not the one you're thinking about, it was the extra point to tie the game with 30 seconds to go down on the field that had been so chewed up. You almost couldn't find a place to put the ball. Of course, everybody thinks you've tied the game because you, you scored, but you still needed the extra point to, to tie it. And so got through that. And then we go to, uh, we squid kick it. They actually get a chance to kick a field goal and we block it with no time left. So that was Uwe von Scham and you might remember. So it now goes yep, into overtime and we have a long pass play. It's like 94 degrees, 95 degrees. You guys, it's 95 pretending our guys are exhausted. Kellen Winslow as our tight end. They carried him on and off the field five or six times. IVs the whole deal. I mean, there's this classic picture of him getting carried off the field. So now we're in overtime and we have a long pass play and they call for field goal unit on second down. And our guys, we had half the guys on the bench that were getting oxygen because we, so we go running out on the field, but we're missing three guys. And it's like a Chinese fire drill, right? There's guys trying to run out there and they're going to move. And, and I go to the, the whole, I go, we need to call timeout. And he goes, no, no, it's a short one. It's like, here. it's like 31 yards. No, no. Look, look. And, we missed the kick. And I'm walking the sidelines going, I just let the team down because I didn't have the courage to call timeout and get set. And, and I'm going, kicker never gets a second chance in overtime. And I remember sitting there on the sidelines and for like seven or eight minutes, they marched down the field and got a chance to line up to kick a field goal. And unfortunately their kicker didn't hit it well, kind of hit the ground and kicked it into the line. And all of a sudden we get a reprieve and we get a chance and we march down the field and we get a second chance. This time he calls it on third down. Of course, this time we're ready and, and we make the kick. And of course that is now known as the Epic in Miami. It's one of the great games of all time. Old timers will remember it. It's often shown on ESPN. But that was a kick that was very important for me for a couple of reasons, obviously to, to help the team out, but it was, almost a metaphor for my life, Jan. I had gone through my really bad illness prior to that. I had surgeries and woke up with two ostomy bags, you know, 65 pounds below my playing weight in the middle of the season. Septic, the doctor's thinking I should die and get visited by the Lord that night. I, I survived the night and then spent six weeks in the ICU with the doctors managing my infection and I survived. And then I wished I had died. What? I, I, I looked at my life, I go, there was nothing in my life I thought I would be able to do again because I, I was now wearing an ostomy bag. Yeah. And I remember having to wrestle through that. Well, the short story, as you know, is I got to return to play. And 
Well, before that, Ralph, before that, I remember you come up the coin toss in Kansas City and you were, I mean, in, in uh, San Diego with Louis Kelcher. Yeah. You were pretty, yeah. pretty, you were pretty, didn't weigh very much at that time, I remember. No, I was 120 pounds. Yeah, no, I never thought I, so that game was sort of like a metaphor for my life. You know, I, I should have died. I got a second chance to live. I should never have been allowed to play. I mean, think about it. I, and I got a second chance to, to earn my job on the team. And here in a game, a kicker misses a kick in overtime. They never get a second chance. And, and I got a second chance. And so that game meant uh, a lot to me, still does for so many reasons. And um, and just, just to, I, Jan, to be on the phone here with you and reconnect, honestly, it brings back such joy and so many great memories and getting to know your your, your wife and, and fun times we played in the off seasons. And it's it's really cool. It's great to see you oh, well. It, it is. And also, you know, I, I never talked about this type of thing because the maybe the linemen or whatever that they, they don't worry too much about what we go through. I'm sure, but the life is yes, you do get paid. At least we thought we got paid pretty well at the time we did it, and it was a and it's, you're part of the biggest league in the country, and it's and uh, there are a lot of fun things and exciting things that go with it. But when I think back. Uh, Ralph, we both mentioned ski jumping. Ski jumping. I tell you, I have two dreams that I that I have, and I think it probably kind of uh, explains uh, why I think about pressure now more than when I, when I was active. But that was part of the job, and I accepted that. But that sometimes I dream that I am on the top of a ski jump, and it's my turn to go down, and I wake up before I get a chance to go down because I want to feel that wonderful feeling flying through the air. Well, the other dream is. So I'm upset when I wake up then. The other dream is I'm in the locker room before the game and I can't get a chin strap or I can't tie my shoes right and goes on and on and on before I get up. Then I wake up and I wake up relieved. I guess that means to me that it must have been, I must have been under quite a bit of pressure, but I didn't really recognize it that much at the time. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was part of your yeah. life. And, that's, and, and you can't, you have to be strong enough. I mean, you have to be strong enough to to handle that thing. At the time, I felt I was. I always felt that I was, that I could take the downside, take the bad with the good or whatever. But yeah. there's no question that it is it is pressurized. But the same token, you don't get you don't get beat up. You don't get uh, you know some of the the injuries and some of the stuff that these great athletes that hit each other on every play, and they're tough people out there. Yeah. So, so I, I had similar, you know, I, there were times, honestly, yeah, where I'm sitting in the locker room before a Monday night game going, what am I doing here? I didn't go to college to this. This is like walking a tightrope without a net. I'm going to fail potentially in front of, you know, 50 million people. Why am I doing this? And then, and then you go out there and you, you contribute to the game and you'd help the team win. And you'd sit there in the locker room with this just extraordinarily satisfying feeling like I contributed, I made a difference. And I stared down this, this pressure that I was sort of, um, you know, having to, to face. And, and then I think the relationships that we end up building with our teammates and going through difficult times together and then succeeding together was, was something that, you know, you'll never, you'll never be able to quite replace. Um, even though when you're in the middle of it, you sometimes, don't have the perspective. You're just trying to do your job. It's when you look back and you realize, oh my gosh, we got to play with amazing Hall of Famers. We redefined offensive football with what Coach Coriel did and with guys like Dan Fouts and Charlie Joyner and Kellen Winslow, these guys that were iconic. And, and we played these games that were amazing. And we had this 
love affair with our city. Back then, there was no free agency, and the, the, the city loved the team because of the way we played. We threw the ball all over the yard. We'd average 400 yards a game, and we'd score 40 points. Hope we had the ball last. So that we didn't have a great defense. We had the ball last. We figured we could win. And when you look back, you realize, wow, those were unique times. And I'm sure, Jan, when you look at your amazing career, all the things you've done, there were some unique times you look back and go, wow, I had no idea I was changing kicking. You changed kicking. You made well, it possible for hundreds of other people to do that. Gentlemen, well, I, I, I really, I hate to have to butt in here. I wish we'd gone over the time we promised you and promised ourselves. I mean, uh, what a magnificent conversation, uh, a, a history of the National Football League and the, the way that it progressed really is what you brought us. Um, I hate to have to end it here, but uh, honest to God, I, I hope we can get the two of you back together again and we'll do a part two of this and pick up with where we left off because it's just been, uh, it's just been fantastic. Having well, Gary, just, just quickly, Gary, when it's all said and done, I talked about, I am so thankful and I enjoyed, even though there were some t- tense times, I enjoyed, I feel so thankful for I've been part of the great, great National Football League for all those years and mm-hmm. have all the excitement. I meet all the friends like Rolf, et cetera, et cetera. So overall, I'm extremely thankful the way it worked out. And I'm the same way, Gary. I, you know, it gave us so much opportunity and so many other things. And uh, yeah. yeah, certainly grateful. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, my pleasure. Jan Stenerud and Rolf Manerska, who are our guests here today. That's going to conclude another chapter of Sports Rivals. A reminder from our sponsor, Bet Online. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. That is going to do it. Uh, we can't thank our guests enough. Just a tremendous insight into these two unbelievable place kickers who did revolutionize the game. You can learn more about us and find the show at Believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. To learn more about the show and other episodes, please log on to the thesportsrivals.com. And you can join the conversation with questions and suggestions for future shows. Follow us on Instagram at The Sports Rivals, on Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for The Sports Rivals podcast. Keep in mind, it is the rivals that make the games. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.